Welcome to Art, Nature, Science on the Binnaburra Cultural Landscape, the podcast that tells the story of the mountain's natural wonder through art making and exploring the creative spirit and celebrates the history and heritage of this magnificent world heritage area. My name is Catherine Lloyd and I'm joined today by Michelle Walker, who you might know as the regular podcast host. Today she's in the hot seat, so let me introduce you to her. Michelle is a visual artist whose work explores the bonds we build with the landscape we inhabit and the native wildlife and plants that live alongside us. With an art practice that spans 20 years and an environmental consulting practice that spans 25 years plus, creativity and caring for nature are often woven like cross threads in Michelle's career and interests. So welcome, Michelle, to this podcast, who you're normally the host for. Looking forward to putting you in the hot seat. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, I think. Gulp. (laughs) (laughs) I know you'll have stories. So let's start with the first question, which is, you've had a lifelong connection to Lamington National Park and Binnaburra. Can you tell us a little more about that, please? I'd love to, and it harks back to some of the history of Binnaburra, which is very much a part of my growing up years. So from literally the decade of the 70s, I spent every other school holidays at Binnaburra. My mum was a very keen bushwalker, birdwatcher, all traits that I inherited from her. And she used to go up on school holidays and she was a teacher. She used to go up and take us kids up there and we used to hang out while she would help with the information centre. And when I first started going up there as a kid, I remember Pat and John Luscombe used to run the kiosk and the campground. And while mum was busy doing the information centre, I used to help out in the kiosk. And so I used to make hamburgers and sell milkshakes and do all that kind of thing and just be around that, you know, the joy of being in the national park. And one of the things that I used to love was the bushwalking group and obviously the Lodge used to take out guests and guided walks. One of my favourite that occasionally I got to tag along for was the Shipstone Walk. And that was a bit of an adventurous thing because you used to walk out to Shipstone and then you used to scrabble down the rock face. And when I first started doing it, I was quite young. I was probably seven or eight. And there was a point at which you got to a rock ledge and you had to lean out and grab a sapling and then shimmy down the last sort of th- two or three metres. My my kids' memory said it was very, very tall. It probably wasn't that tall at all. But it was just this sort of great adventure thing that we used to do. And you'd then lunch at Turtle Rock and then abseil off the face of Turtle Rock, walk down into Namavar Valley and spend the night at the Natural Bridge Caves with the glowworms. And it was such a fantastic experience. I did that walk many times and it was one of my absolute favourite at Binnaburra. And I did my first bit of abseiling when I was seven off Turtle Rock, just adored it. And it was just sort of one of those experiences that Binnaburra had that was really for guests. You know, we really opened up the park and the park was a place of absolute wonder. I felt like I was living in a bit of a Discovery Channel experience and everything was possible. And as a kid, it was really freeing because mum really trusted us. And so I could go off bushwalking, not a problem. And I knew about all the things that could bite you or hurt you, like gimpy gimpy and, you know, ticks and leeches and all those sorts of things and snakes that you had to keep an eye out for. But also the love of being able to see a lyrebird or hear a lyrebird calling down in the gully, you know, that kind of thing was was really turned on. And so that first part of my time in my sort of age five to age 15, I spent a lot of time at Binnaburra and 
got to do lots of fun first. So first time I ever wheel through on a, a pottery wheels with uh, Roma groom. And the first time I ever got a black eye was at one of the bush dances. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know about dance. you, Catherine. Have you have you had any experiences of bush dancing? Oh, I certainly have. I, I was a keen bush dancer, but I never got a black eye from a bush dance. So that's well, very impressive. It, it was a bit of a contact sport. So do you remember they? Um, so Binnabara bush dancers were a thing on Saturday night, and I adored them. They were calisthenic. They were social. They were lots of fun in terms of you know physical coordination. And I used to love, and I still have a really strong memory of. Um, the Peter Seeger song, which was um, about the hammer. And I don't know if you remember that protest song from the 60s, but it was one of the tracks they used to use for the Binnaburra slosh. And the slosh was kind of like boot scooting before its time. And it was something you did on your own in lines and everyone, you know, clomping around and in your boots on the timber floor and then turning 90 degrees and going again. So it was a lot of fun. And one of the other things they did, as well as the Cumberland Reel and Progressive Barn Dance and all those beautiful uh, social interactions where you got to meet people and chat, was Knights, Mounts and Cavaliers. And it was kind of a competition type thing. And so the music would play and then the caller would yell out Knights or Mounts or whatever, and you had to get into a position with your partner. And this particular one, it was down to one other couple and myself and my buddy, and he yelled out knights, and that meant he had to kneel and I had to sit on his knee. And then the guy yelled out reverse, the caller yelled out reverse, which meant quickly we had to get up and swap swap roles. And in that quickly getting up and swapping roles, my eye socket kind of met with my buddy's knee, and oh. I ended up with the most massive black eye. And it was just, you know, so it's one of those first experiences Um that, you know, wrapped around the stories and the joy of doing bush dances up at Binnabara on a Saturday night. Indeed, absolutely. Well, you're lucky you just ended up with a black eye and nothing else in that regard. Oh, yeah, and we didn't we didn't win, which was worse. <laughs> oh, all that pain, <laughs> no gain in that regard. I know, and I had the first time I ever did any paid work was working in the lodge and I worked in the dishwashers area, which we used to always call dish pig. I don't know. In all my years <laughs> of working in restaurants, it was always yeah. a bit derogatory, but yeah, I love that. And I remember feeling as a 15 year old, feeling so mighty and independent and the freedom of having a, a kind of a folding bill, which was pretty big back then in my back pocket as I walked back to the campground and, and I did really have so many parts of my life in that childhood growing up. The other big memory for me, which was probably something that made me switch on to biology in a big way, was when I was around 10 or 11, I did a junior ranger program. And so that was a fantastic experience. And I did it alongside Lisa and David Groom, who uh, David's been interviewed on this podcast as a painter artist early in the sequence. So he and I were reminiscing about that junior ranger program and just how it was formative. Like I, re I still remember we had to do a whole series of activities like a scout type thing, you know, where you have to do this talk and you have to sort of explore this and write this story and do this drawing. Yep. It was all that. And I did mine on strangler figs, which at the time there was a beautiful tree called the cathedral tree and you could walk out to it and then stand in it. It was so big. The fig had taken, the host tree had died away a long time ago. 
the bowerbirds bower. I was fascinated with those. Oh. Being a bit of a fossicker myself, I, oh, found, yes. I found it just totally along they the lines of what I do. Yeah. yeah. So they were my stories or the things I explored. But also I just was fascinated with the whole geological time history of Lamington National Park and the connection to Mount Warning as we knew it then. We call it Wollumba now, but Mount Warning for me was sort of this pivotal point that created this magnificent area of Lamington National Park where the, the beauty and the really unique plants and animals were in situ by the time I came to experience it. And I found that whole geological time fascinating. So I did have a really formative time as a kid up at Binnabara. And fast forward, I've had sort of three times where either Binnabara's been on my dance card or I've been on Binnabara's dance card. I'm not sure which, but the next time I was in my mid-20s and I came back from overseas and I'd been working in creative industries with a love of conservation that I was sort of doing as a volunteer, came back to Australia, uh, what I thought was going to be a six-week holiday, and went to visit my mum who was volunteering for the Natural History Association up there and we were chatting and reconnecting after not seeing each other for two years. And a few things struck me was just the beauty of that place really seeped in. I'd been living in London and England. That was pretty crazy. So that remembering of just being able to hear a grey fantail call or a monarch call, you know, just those really small but very significant things. And while I was sitting, I started chatting to one of the park rangers and I thought, oh, you know, maybe that's this is a thing. And serendipity had it the next week, a girlfriend of mine rang me up and said, National Parks is looking for a park ranger that wants to write a national park management plan for Lamington. I think you would fit the bill. And so that was the beginning of 25 plus years in environmental management was right there. So I went along, got the job, did it as a casual, then transferred into a permanent career and then just sort of went off from there. But it was Lamington that anchored me back into Australia. And obviously the six-week holiday, I didn't go back to England. I stayed in Australia. And that that was a big chunk of my life where it started with that connection and that love of Binnabara and love of Lamington generally and my joy of what national parks can do and how important they are in the landscape. And then the last dance move was doing a workshop with this program of the Art Nature Science program. Yes, and I'd like to explore that a little bit more with you too about the Art Nature Science program. But I just want to reflect back to you in terms of, you know, this history that you have with the area and, you know, that whole idea of place as an anchor and coming back to this place that keeps drawing you back in that regard, the connection to landscape to sound as well and you mentioned about the birds and the various calls and particularly coming back from being overseas I think that's one of the things that many of us many Australians probably that unique sound I think that Australia has and particularly the birds in that regard so you know that is really interesting that you know those sounds draw you back the place draws you back and all these connections, and it says in your introduction, these cross threads keep pulling, these threads keep pulling you back to this place in that regard. So it sounds like it's been an incredibly formative and informative place for you. So now here you are involved with Binnaburra in the Art Nature Science Program, and I'd love you to tell us a little bit more about that and then the workshop that you ran recently. Yeah, I'd love to. And I feel like the thing that's happened for me in the last 12 months is 
we moved off a farm that I lived on for about 14 years. And what I realised was one of the things I adored about that farm was it felt like it was my own little national park. And one of the things that was a bright point for me when I knew we were leaving and we decided to move to Moolambar was I was an hour closer to Lamington. I could sneak up Numbar Valley and be up at Binnabara. So it is really significant. And the other thing that I just want to mention is in terms of those senses is smell. Mm. smell has been so provocative and actually when I went up there for that visit to see mum after being away I really just felt like my whole body let go I had this sort of nervous system relax because of the smells that I you know remembered from childhood all those positive memories and it was it was a really interesting thing and I think when I saw that Renata put out because I'm known Renata through the Queensland College of Art circles and I saw that she was doing this and that she was the first artist in residence and I thought oh that's something I just want to lean into because and I struggled with this as a kid when I was in high school I wanted to do art and I wanted to do science and you know the advisory kind of role of the teachers for students was pretty much if you can do science do science and and I've toggled all my life. I did a science degree, then I worked as a photographer's assistant, then I went to video and then I came back to parks. And, you know, I, I've sort of done that thing, that dance, and I feel that they're not separate. We have this artificial separation that kind of drives me nuts, but it's very convenient to label things. But for me, there's a lot of chemistry and physics in some of the things I do with metalsmithing, enameling, even with the sort of paints and so forth. There's a lot of science in art. But also when I got into the work that I was doing with the environment, I was invariably working with people. And so we're talking about how do we be creative in the way that we encourage people to get involved in things like management plans for parks and regions. And for me, it's not a black and white, this or that. I think that that's a real trap. And oh, indeed. <laughs> it's probably yeah. a trap of our society, actually, really, is to separate these things mm. out. It hasn't been very helpful, really, I think, for our progression as uh, a human race. No, and I totally agree. And we could riff on that for hours. But yes, we did. <laughs> back to your question for the workshop. So the workshop I ran was called Paper, Pencils and the Senses, and it was an artist bookmaking workshop. And there's a significance in the title because when I was interviewing Tony Groom for the podcast, we talked about it, that the census trail is something that if anyone's been up to Binavara, they may well know it. It takes off from the saddle, which is that grassy bit between the campsite and the lodge. And it was built when I was a Binnabara goer. And what was interesting to me was my family had an experience of blindness. My grandfather was blind. So my mum's dad was blinded in the war. And it made census trail all that more interesting and all that more significant in terms of our lives as a family. And I think mum felt the same. It was a terrific experience. You know, I know that as a teacher and when Murray Browning was running the Environmental Ed Centre, they used to take the kids down there and it was a real thing where we got to experience the forest and that beauty in a totally different way. So that was kind of the essence that I wanted to tap into for the workshop. Each of the participants started with a single sheet and we worked through a process of mark making and and then bookmaking. So it was a fantastic day, lots of um, very positive feedback. I enjoyed myself tremendously, which is always a good sign if things flow well as a tutor. 
and I did it with the help of Virginia Reed, who's an awesome woman who also shares a love of art and, and nature combination and sort of connection to land that's key to the way that I do art and key to the way my creative process wraps around. Mm. And what a beautiful experience for people to be able to experience the environment through art and through the senses, through that mark making and really looking and observing and taking in that environment and then being able to express it in some particular way. So I'm sure that must have been quite a revelation for some people and maybe building on for others. Yeah, some people certainly came with some experience. The thing that I like about it, it's very tangible. You walk away with this little handmade book and it's a record of your experience when you were at Binnaburra doing that workshop. And I think there's something really lovely about that. Very unique. I wonder what else, as as an artist in that place and creating workshops that enable other people to experience that, what for you has been the creative process in that regard for you to engage in that place? What have you done to, yeah, draw on that for yourself? It's sort of a, it's emerging because I can't go there without sort of revisiting history because I've got so many vignettes of story and experience and I'm only just starting to re-experience Binnaburra and that time in June was the first time since the 2019 fires and I'd kept the place at a bit of an arm's distance because I sort of wasn't ready and then I made sure that I created space on the morning of the workshop when it was really quiet to go and stand at Mount Roberts and and literally give thanks for it as a place for the all the souls that had come before, the people who had in, endured and adventured and there's something about nature and the kind of humanness that comes together for me and I just love that sort of esoteric kind of aspect, but also I was able to collect some charcoal from some of the burnt stumps and make marks with that. And I feel like I wanted to really play with some of the environments. And I'm very conscious that as a artist at Binnaburra, you have to be very mindful of the protection zone of the national park. So it's not something you can just sort of do willy nilly anywhere, but yeah, where that was possible, that's, it felt really good to be able to use some of the materials that were right there and took some photographs of some bleeding heart bushes which are taking off, which seemed to me to be really symbolic of what had gone on and just that they were there and their colour and their meaning and their name sort of had mm. something there for me. Mm. Yes, and that resilience that nature shows us time and time again uh, has the capacity to to return um, even when it's been uh, put under a lot of pressure. So, yes, an honouring of that is, is, uh, is, is pretty fabulous. I'm wondering if you'd like to experience some rapid-fire questions at the moment. I'm up I mean, for it. Go. <laughs> yeah, so we've been on this little journey with you, which is fascinating. But if you had to sum up Binnaburra in a photo, in a picture, what would that be for you? I think it's Talolal. It's the Antarctic beach and that mystery of walking through the rainforest and sort of the track circles around and then comes to that internal place of somewhat elevated bot with the Antarctic beach. And as a kid, I just found them absolutely mesmerising and just their story captured my heart. And I feel like it's so accessible from the car park, you know, it doesn't take forever to get there. And I think, yeah, Antarctic beach. Mm, Fabulous. So what does art, nature, science mean to you? 
it's kind of the story of my life. Um, not that it's all about me, but it just happens to resonate very strongly with me because I feel that it's the different aspects. It's the connection to nature and connection to our own creativity. And those two things are like the pillars of my world. And I've moved between them in all the work that I've done. Mm. So, yeah. And I think the wealth of knowledge, my passion for learning, a lot of people share that I know. And just the more we understand, the more we can be in awe, the more we want to protect. Indeed, absolutely. And I think it goes back to that conversation around how we've siloed things out and how unhelpful that actually is. But to bring these major themes into this kind of collective thinking, I think is very profound. Mm. So what is creativity for you? It's like breathing. I don't think I can do a day without it anymore. I think I spend a lot of time pushing it under. And when I decided to go full time with my art, which was in 2020, and I know COVID was disruptive for many people. It was also disruptive for my consulting business. It was also a blessing in disguise. And I just gave myself over to my art studio practice. So for me, it's been this recognition. It's probably as much as I've loved my environmental career, I've, I've always wanted to be an artist as well. So kind of want to be a nerdy artist. I don't know what but that's a thing. <laughs> I'm sure there might be a few nerdy artists listening in right now and, and, and getting what that might be. So we look forward to hearing more about the nerdy artist within you. But what's inspiring you right now? Rust. Oh, rust. Rust. Okay. Rusty things. Um, I've got a, an exhibition in May and June next year at the Ballin Gallery, uh, which is the Northern Rivers Regional Gallery. And the exhibition's called Ash, Mud and Tears, which takes in the fires, the floods and the COVID time. And part of the flood, because that's more recent for me and I had more you know, kind of direct physical impact in my world. This idea of rusty things and things that are, you know, kind of damaged and ruined. My passion for rust has been given a full flight. So I've, I've discovered that bitumen roads and roundabouts pop out rusty discs, which were previously bottle tops, at a kind of a regular rate because I walk the same paths and I collect them all the time. So there's sort of this strange magical thing that goes on with bitumen roads and roundabouts. So I'm building my collection of rusty things and I'm doing rust dyeing and I'm also going to play with the rusty objects in terms of creating book covers and rust dyeing art papers for artist books. Mm. And then I don't know what else. So, but that's Absolutely. I, I could almost jingle my pocket because I've just been back from a walk. I've got a few things in oh, my there pocket. there you go. Maybe you can go and trade them somewhere at a store or something like that. I've got some rusty rusty tops here. What can I trade it for? But, no um, way. I'm no actually way. looking to buy. <laughs> They're the jewels. They're the jewels for it's you. Gold. It's like the bowerbird, coming back to the bowerbird in that regard. There That's you go. I have yeah. a fossica very deeply embedded yeah. in my DNA. Yes, I can I really resonate with that. I have my own inner bowerbird as well, so I completely get what you're talking about in that regard. And as you said before, right at the beginning about those magnificent bowerbirds at Binnaburra, and the first time you see one of those nests, it's breathtaking and it's the curiosity factor is just unbelievable. So they are an inspiration in and of themselves. I'm wondering as we start to draw the interview to a close, Michelle, is there a question that I haven't asked you that you would like me to ask? 
I'm not sure there is. I think, you know, I I could do an interview process that would take four hours because I feel like I there's so many sort of of those personal memories that maybe people listening could tap into. But I think just the joy of the place is what people resonate with. And I think I'm good with the questions. I feel kind of satiated for now. Mm, fantastic. Satisfied. So where can people find you and and your art practice? You can get me on Instagram, which is probably where I'm most active. If you want to follow my painting and my artist bookmaking, I'm Michelle Walker Art. And if you're interested in my jewellery and enamelling, I'm Serendi Hills Art. I have got an exhibition coming up next year. So if anyone's in Northern Rivers or in Southeast Queensland and wants to journey down, I'd love to have you there for Ash, Mud and Tears. And it's going to be this exploration of what's happened with Northern Rivers community and what we've lived through and that as a source of inspiration. And I feel the kind of concept I'm playing with at the moment is precious debris. So I'm not sure where that's going to go. I've still got 10 months or so. That's the path I'm on right now and looking forward to seeing what emerges. Oh, it sounds like a fabulous journey to be going on. So I look forward to um, following up with Instagram and seeing it on there and various other avenues that I see you, Michelle. So, And I'm sure other people will be really interested to see that and, progress. And you well. can also get me on my website, so michellewalkerart.com, yeah. of course. Indeed, of course, absolutely. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for taking us on that little history trip and for taking us back to your childhood and how much Binnaburra and Lamington have actually been in your life and how it keeps intersecting and you keep in that dance between the two of you is really fascinating and it looks like uh, there's going to be a lot more stories ahead as well. So looking forward to hearing and seeing about those as well. Thank you, Catherine. The producers and artists on this podcast acknowledge the traditional owners of the Binnaburra area and Lamington National Park, the Yungabed Language Group. We also thank Catherine Slingsby for the podcast theme music, an excerpt from her piece, Sweet Dream.